G'day, my name is Jeff. Time for us to look together at this last section of the book of Micah, chapter 6 to 7. Please do have your Bible open so we can read this lengthy passage together, think about what it means and how it applies to us. Don't forget the outline that's on the service program. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, do please help us now as we look at your word to understand it and to think hard about what it means for us in our lives and particularly when we face crises. Uh, help us to learn from you, about you, so that we can respond rightly to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you do in a crisis? Uh, at those times when something goes seriously wrong, how, how do you respond? Are you a person who gets stressed, anxious? I know I am. I remember a couple of years ago, Carmelina was away overseas. Um, one of my kids had a car accident. Turned out I hadn't properly insured the car and I was going to be up for the cost of not only our car but the other car as well. Um, I, got, I got so stressed about it and um, as I got more and more stressed as the days went by, I ended up um, getting shingles. You're a stress person, is that how you respond to crisis? Or, or maybe are you an action person? When it comes to a crisis, uh, I've got a friend who, uh, the, the moment things go wrong in her life, she starts frantically cleaning the house. Um, I think it's a way of feeling like she's getting stuff under control. Her husband says, you know, when she's stressed because she starts sweeping. Um, is, is that what you do? You, you try frantically to do whatever you can to get life under control. Or when you face a crisis, are, are you a fault finder? This has gone wrong. Somebody must be to blame. Do you search out who's at fault? It's got to be somebody's fault. Maybe it's your own. Maybe it's somebody else's. Or it's the government. Or it's the um, maybe maybe God is to blame. But but somebody has to be to blame. Of course, we will all face crises. Some will be more serious than others. And it's important for us to think through for ourselves as Christians: what is the godly response to a crisis? How should we respond? Well, in this last section of Micah, chapter 6 and 7, the Jews are facing an extraordinarily terrible crisis. Back in Micah chapter 1 and verse 1, we saw that Micah prophesied during the reign of three Judean kings, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And we've seen his message. He's told them that God is coming to judge. He's going to judge and destroy Samaria, the northern kingdom of Israel, He's going to judge and destroy them for their idolatry. But Judah's not going to miss out either. Uh, Micah, said, Micah has told us that uh, Judah will be conquered all the way. All the towns will be conquered all the way to the very gates of Jerusalem. And why? Uh, do you remember? It's because of those, those greedy, rich people who are exploiting the poor and vulnerable so that they can increase their property portfolios and, uh, and, and gain their own wealth. But it's not just the rich people. The, the leaders, the, the, the priests, the prophets, the, the judges, they're supposed to be protecting the poor and vulnerable from these greedy, rich landowners. But instead of, instead of protecting them, they're actually in league with the rich. They're, they're in the pockets of the rich. They're, they're corrupt themselves. And so they refuse to, to, to act with justice, um, to, to, to be merciful to the poor. As Micah put it in chapter 3, the leaders judge for bribes, the priests teach for a price, and the prophets prophesy for money. Now, the rich exploiters, they have the leaders of Judah in their pockets. And so they're failing to, to be the just, merciful leaders for God that they're supposed to be. And so Micah says that um, judgment will come, Assyria will come all the way to the gates of Jerusalem. 
Well, now, as we come to the last section of Micah, we're in the time of Hezekiah and it's crunch time. Micah's message has come true. The nation of Assyria has conquered Samaria. They have conquered the towns of Judah all the way through to the gates of Jerusalem. As we come into Micah chapter 6, the city of Jerusalem is under siege, surrounded by the Assyrian army. It is a terrible, terrifying crisis. The people are um, they're gathered together in the city of Jerusalem, in, in the temple of Jerusalem, and they are begging God, God, will you please, please help us? Will you please save our lives from this, from this terrible, cruel, powerful enemy that surrounds us? Now, in Micah chapter 6, um, God gives his reply, his reply to his people crying out to him. And he says, he says, people, why are you in this crisis? What's got us here to this point? He says, it's not because I am a bad God. God says, I have been so kind to you. I rescued you out of Egypt. I protected you. In the wilderness, as people like Moab tried to conquer you. I, I brought you from um, outside the promised land, and he talks about a, a town called Shittim, to, to inside the promised land. He talks about a, a town called Gilgal. I brought you into the promised land. God says, I have done the right thing by you from start to finish. You're not in this situation because I've done the wrong thing. Micah chapter 6 and verse 1. Have a look with me. Micah chapter 6 and verse 1. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. God has been righteous. God has been just. God has been generous. God has loved Israel. God has brought her into the promised land. And, and what did he want from them? How did he want them to respond to his salvation? And how does he want them to respond now that they're in this crisis? He says, he says, I don't need your sacrifices. I don't need your ritual. I don't need your religion. I don't, I don't even need your tears. You don't have to buy me off in some way. What I've always wanted for you is very simple. It's just this. I want you to be my faithful people. I want you to do justice, not to exploit the poor and vulnerable. Not to corruptly ignore justice because you're on the take. God says, I want you to be merciful. Merciful to the weak and vulnerable. Not, not, uh, not, not exploiting them, protecting them. And God says, I want you to walk with humility before me. Don't ignore me. Don't follow other idols. Don't look to man for help. Humbly walk before me, your God and Saviour. Verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? 
lots of ideas about how to placate God in this crisis. But God's told them all along. Verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. God wants his people to respond to his salvation by living for him, by by showing a heartfelt devotion to God, a devotion that's not just about religion, a, a devotion that changes how they acquire their wealth, develop their property portfolio, a devotion that changes how they do their job, a devotion that changes how they spend their money, a devotion that changes their ambition in life and their plans for life. God wants them to be his faithful people. But God says to the Jews in Micah's day, he says, you haven't been doing it. He says, you've been dishonest. You've exploited the poor. You've followed idols, the idols of the kings of, of Samaria, kings like Omri and Ahab. And so God says, that's why ruins come upon you. That's what's got the city of Jerusalem into this terrible crisis. Verse 9. Listen, the Lord is calling to the city and to fear your name is wisdom. Heed the rod and the one who appointed it. Am I still to forget your ill-gotten treasures, you wicked house and the short ephah which is accursed? Shall I acquit someone with dishonest scales with a bag of false weights? This ephah and scales and weights is ways that they... um, Uh, In in their trade, they trick each other and and shortchange each other. You rich people are violent. Your inhabitants are liars and their tongues speak deceitfully. Therefore, I have begun to destroy you, to ruin you because of your sins. You will eat but not be satisfied. Your stomach will still be empty. You will store up but save nothing because what you save I will give to the sword. You will plant but not harvest. You will press olives but not use the oil. You will crush grapes but not drink the wine. You've observed the, sta- observed the statues of Omri and all the practices of Ahab's house. You followed their traditions." Therefore, I will give you over to ruin and your people to derision. You will bear the scorn of the nations. Next thing, Micah gives a a, a lament for the city. He says that the people have sinned. That's why God's judgment has come. That's why Jerusalem is under siege. Uh, And and he describes the scene that the people are hungry And uh, even family members are turning against each other. It's every man for himself in this siege. You can't trust anyone. Turn your back and and literally someone will eat you. Uh, Chapter 7 and verse 1. What misery is mine. I am like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat. None of the early figs that I crave. The faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood they hunt each other with nets both hands are skilled in doing evil the ruler demands gifts the judge accepts bribes the powerful dictate what they desire they all conspire together the best of them is like a briar the most upright worse than a thorn hedge the day god visits you has come the day your watchmen sound the alarm now is the time of your confusion and now Picture this scene under siege. Do not trust a neighbor. Put no confidence in a friend. Even with the woman who lies in your embrace, guard the words of your lips. For a son dishonors his father. A daughter rises up against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the members of his own household. 
Um, I've been on a diet for the last few weeks, trying to get off some of these COVID kilos. It's called the, the 22-2 diet. Basically, you fast for 22 hours and just eat for two hours. But basically, you just eat one meal a day. Uh, I've chosen to skip breakfast and lunch and just have dinner for five days a week. I tell you what, by the time I get home and it's dinner time, I am pretty ravenous. Um, I'm pretty much ready to rip the leg off a child and eat it raw. Imagine then what it was like to be in this siege. The people haven't eaten for days, weeks. No wonder you can't even trust your father or mother. No wonder people are even turning on their own families. Can you see this really is an... uh, It is a dire, dire situation. This is a terrible, terrible crisis. It looks like the end for the Jews. And it's well-deserved. And it's terrible. But Micah knows. God's already told him, it's not the end. God's already told him, it'll stop at the gates of Jerusalem. God will rescue Jerusalem. God's promised to do it. And Micah says, he says, I'll wait. I'll wait for God to do what he's promised. I'll wait for God to save Jerusalem. Verse 7, but as for me... I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Saviour. My God will hear me. Uh, what, what Micah does next, he, he personifies Jerusalem. He speaks on behalf of Jerusalem. He speaks as Jerusalem to Assyria, her enemy. Uh, Assyria has been saying that God can't save Jerusalem. They said, your God is no more powerful than any of the other gods that we've defeated and destroyed. But now Jerusalem speaks to Assyria. And Jerusalem says, Assyria... I'm not in this situation because you're powerful. I'm not in this situation because God is weak. God is in complete control. I'm in this situation because God is judging me for my sin. But Assyria, your time will come. God is going to destroy you. Verse 8. Verse 8. This is Jerusalem speaking now. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. Then my enemy will see it and will be covered with shame. She who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her downfall. Even now she will be trampled underfoot like mire in the streets. Next, Micah addresses Jerusalem. He says, God is going to rebuild you. God's enemies will fall. Only God's people will stand. Verse 11. The day, this is Micah addressing Jerusalem, the day for building your walls will come. The day for extending your boundaries. In that day, people will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, even from Egypt to the Euphrates and from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. The earth will become desolate because of its inhabitants as the result of their deeds. Micah is confident that God will do as he's promised and and rescue Jerusalem. And and, and that's now what he prays. He asks God, will you please do it? Will you please be like a shepherd rescuing your sheep? Bring them into safe pastures. Save Jerusalem. Verse 14. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, which lives by itself in a forest in fertile pasture lands. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in days long ago. Micah asks God to, to do what he's promised to save Jerusalem. And God answers again. He says, yes, I will do it like I did back in the Exodus. I'll save Jerusalem. I'll defeat their enemies. Verse 15. As in the days when you came out of Egypt, 
God says, I will show them my wonders. Nations will see and be ashamed, deprived of all their power. They will put their hands over their mouths and their ears will become deaf. They will lick dust like a snake. Like creatures that crawl on the ground, they will come trembling out of their dens. They will turn in fear to the Lord our God and will be afraid of you. God's made his promises. He's promised that he will save besieged Jerusalem, the remnant of his people. And so Micah ends this, this prophecy as they are gathered together in the temple, terrified. He ends this prophecy not with stress, not with anxiety, not with laying blame anymore. He, he ends this prophecy, um, having prayed to God, he ends this prophecy by praising God. He says, God, you are merciful. You are kind. You are compassionate. You are faithful. Uh, you, you will keep your promises. You will graciously save your people despite all their sin. God, we trust you to save us. Verse 18. Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. It's a pretty full-on scene, isn't it? I mean, the most powerful army in the history of the world is right outside the gates of the city. They've, they've surrounded the city. This is an army... Um, this is an army that tortures and mutilates its enemies. This is a people who have no mercy. This is terrifying. Nobody in the world has been able to stand up to this Assyrian army. They have destroyed everyone in their path. And here they are, surrounding the city, knocking on the gates. Extraordinary crisis. But can you see, here in Micah chapters 6 to 7, the, the response to the crisis so that the people, they're, they're terrified, they're gathered in the temple, it seems. They're, they're calling on God, begging God, have mercy on us. Help us in this crisis. What does God say? Well, first he says, it's not like I've done the wrong thing by Jerusalem. I saved you out of Egypt. I brought you through the wilderness. I, I put you in this beautiful promised land. And what did I want from you? Not anything magical. I didn't want you firstborn offered in sacrifice. I just wanted you to be people of justice and mercy and humble faithfulness. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with the God who saved you. But God says you haven't done it. You've been unjust. You've been unmerciful. You've been arrogant. You've followed idols. That's why you're in this siege. It's not because God is weak. and It's not because God is, is mean. It's because they arrogantly have ignored and disobeyed God. Personified Jerusalem speaks to personified Assyria. She says, she says, we're not in this situation because you're stronger than God. We're in this situation because of my sin. And we're not going to be in this situation for long. Soon, God will defeat and destroy you, Assyria. Micah then prays that uh, God will keep the promises that he's made, that he'll save besieged Jerusalem. God says, I'm going to do it. And so Micah finishes, um, finishes with praise to God. Praise to God for his compassion and mercy and kindness and faithfulness. This is intense stuff. This is intense. This is life and death stuff. This, this is a terrible, 
terrible crisis. But you know what, friends? It all happened exactly as Micah said. This is why Micah is in the Bible. That tiny little city of Jerusalem, surrounded by the most powerful army in the world, God then struck down the Assyrian army. He killed 180,000 of them, the Bible tells us. The the Assyrian army, they had to retreat in disgrace. The emperor went back home, ended up getting assassinated. The, The Assyrians were defeated without even a battle. Exactly as Micah prophesied and prayed. All right, friends, let's think about applying this passage to ourselves. Uh, Two things strike me about this passage. First, um, first, the way God wants his people to respond to his salvation, the the, the sort of lives that God is looking for from his people. Uh, But then second, I think this is a really valuable study in how to react to a, a crisis. So ideas about life in general, living as God's saved people, and second, ideas about life in a crisis. Let's think about life in general first. It's clear from this passage, um, God's people are saved by his grace. He, he tells them that. He says, I saved you out of Egypt. I brought you through the wilderness. I brought you into the promised land. Um, God has, has saved them purely by his grace, and it's by his grace again, despite all of their sin, that he's going to rescue them from this siege from this crisis. It's not because they're good. God saves them because he is good. But did you notice what God was looking for from his saved people? It's a, it's a rightly, a very, very famous verse. What does he want? That they act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with their God. Friends, I, I think it's a picture of what a Christian should look like. Like the Jews in Micah's time, we have been saved purely because of the grace of God. We are sinners who deserve nothing from God but condemnation. And yet through the death and resurrection of Jesus alone, we've been forgiven, we've been cleansed, we've been accepted as God's people. It is through the death and resurrection of Jesus alone that we look forward to having a place in heaven, the ultimate promised land. We are people rescued by the grace of God. And in response, what what God wants from us, it's the same as what he says here that he wants from the Jews in Micah's day. He wants us to be people of justice. People who People who will bravely do the right thing, even if it costs, even if it hurts, even if it brings conflict. Is that you? Would you say that you are a person who does justice? Are you renowned for your integrity? I had a mate when I was first a Christian and... uh, um, his dad was a, a missionary and a person who we sort of considered to be a person of great wisdom. And he used to say to his son and to us, the most important thing for a, for a young man to be godly is to have integrity. Are you renowned for your integrity? Would the other people around you describe you as a person who is going to always choose to do the right thing? Act justly. What else does God say? He wants us to be people of mercy. 
when we're dealing with the weak, when we're dealing with the vulnerable, when we're dealing with the sinful, when we're dealing with people who, who can't give back to us, who can't help us, who can't increase our status, we shouldn't have any sense of superiority. We ourselves are sinners, saved only by the grace of God. And as people who've received mercy, we should be quick to show mercy. Is that you? Do you love mercy? And so are you renowned for being a person of kindness? Not, not like ordinary people who suck up to people above them who, who can help them and then talk down and, 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 and give no time to those below them. No, no, are you a person who loves mercy? What about the third thing? God wants his people to walk humbly with him. He's not looking for us to be all religious. He's not looking for money or sacrifices. God doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't want holier-than-thou piety. God just wants humble faithfulness. Is that you? Nothing too fancy. You, you don't walk around, you know, praying out loud on the streets to impress people. You, 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 just, you just get on with it. You humbly stick with God. I reckon this is a winsome picture, don't you? Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God. I, I'd like to be that sort of person. That, the sort of person who has a, just a heartfelt, genuine devotion for God, a devotion that impacts my whole life, not, not, not just what I do on Sundays. Justice, mercy, walking humbly with God. Good ideas about general life, don't you reckon? Beautiful picture of a Christian. All right, second. Uh, second point of application, not just living generally, but uh, particularly I think this... This passage has valuable ideas about responding to a crisis. I mean, this was a massive crisis for Jerusalem. Under siege from the most powerful army in the world. No food, no hope. Um, starving and looking forward only to torture and death. I mean, you think you've got problems? <laughs> you haven't got problems compared to the, the Jews in Micah's day. And, you know, they had all kinds of responses. Same sort of responses we have. Some people are blaming God. Some people are lashing out against each other. Some people are, you know eating each other it seems that no doubt there's plenty of anxiety there's plenty of stress there's plenty of panic there's probably even some frantic sweeping happening around the place and now they've gathered together in the temple and they're, they're begging god but but micah teaches them how to react here i mean first notice how he insists that god is still in control it's not that assyria is stronger god is in control god put them in this situation and only god can get them out they need to turn to him and second, notice how it's not only that God is able to save them, but, but God is willing to save them. Notice how Micah trusts in God's goodness. He doesn't think God is out to get him. Um, even though the, the Jews have been sinful, even though they're in this terrible crisis, Micah believes that God is still merciful, still compassionate, still faithful to his promises. And so what does Micah do? What does he encourage the Jews to do in, in this terrible crisis? Well, he prays. He asks God for help, and then he faces the crisis with a calm confidence, even with praise to God, because he trusts that God has things in hand. He's able and willing to save. Now, friends, the, these truths of Micah, they're still true. They apply to us as we face crises as well. Now, when we face a crisis, God is still in control. So we should turn to him I remember, uh, I remember when I was first a Christian, I, I knew a lady. She was, uh, she was very into spiritual warfare. 
she loved books by an author called Frank Peretti. Uh, one time I remember her son, um, her son was very sick and we were in a church prayer meeting. The thing that really struck me, I heard her pray, but, but, but what, what, what struck me was this. Most of her prayer, it wasn't to God at all. I mean, she kept on praying to, to all these different demons who, who she blamed for what was happening, for her son's sickness. You know, I, 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 I rebuke you, demon of sickness, she said. On and on she went. Friends, the devil is not in control of your crisis. God is in control. He's the only one who can help. You need to pray to him. He is the only one able. And when we face crises, um, God is still merciful. God is still compassionate. God is still faithful to his promises. God is still willing to help us as our loving father. He doesn't suddenly hate us. He still loves us. And so we mustn't run away from him in crisis. We need, we need to turn to him knowing that ultimately our eternity is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, the right response in a crisis is Micah's response. Don't, don't stress about it as if God can't help you. Don't try to find someone to blame or, or blame God as if he's not willing to help. Don't, don't run around like a headless chook trying to regain some sense of control yourself. No, no. In crisis, turn, turn to God. Rely on his ability Rely on his goodness, rely on his promises, trust and praise God in your crisis. Let's pray. A gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you because you have made good promises to us. You've promised to bring us through this life and into eternal life, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for us. We help us therefore to to respond to your goodness by living lives of justice and mercy, humbly walking with you. And we help us to respond in times of crisis by turning to you in faith, in prayer and with praise, trusting that you are able and willing to do what is best for us as our loving Heavenly Father. Help us in this, we pray, by the power of your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen.